welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back and thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate it. I am your host, Jordan Porter, along with the wonderful Yvonne Brandenburg. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Good. Busy. Yeah. Oh my God. I know it's, it's spring. It's really, yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. Cause I think when did we talk just a few days ago? Mm-hmm. And things have changed in the last few days. Mm-hmm. The coronavirus crap. Yeah, it's causing I, all the conferences to... I know. I'm so sad. So, which is a bummer because I announced, like, last time that I was going to be at my work conference. And I just got an email saying it was canceled. <sighs> so, um, I think... Well, not canceled. They actually postponed it. They're going to do it in October. So, um, if you were planning to go to the SAGE Symposium... It's, it's postponed until October, but I still plan on being there in October. <laughs> Maybe I can convince Jordan to come out to California in October then. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to see like, what my life is doing. Right? Like, oh my gosh. Course, I mean, maybe plane tickets will still be super cheap then. Right. I know. So. You're like, oh, I can go to California for 20 bucks. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we do have a couple of shout outs this week. Uh, we had the vet tech cafe with Jeff and Dave. They, um, gave us a nice shout out, kind of like a re shout out. Uh, the radio vet nurse, Kat Robinson said that she listens to our podcast. She's been binging it, which is really amazing. I I know she totally, she was, uh, I think she was doing some chores and then started binging and I was like, Oh, Hey Kat. So, um, I, I love finding, um, podcasts that are vet tech specific, especially ones run by vet techs um, mm-hmm. or vet nurses, excuse me, because yeah, she's a vet, a vet nurse. nurse down in Australia. Uh, and so, you know, I, I definitely love kind of connecting with those people and, and it's fun because it, it gives you different perspectives. So if you haven't checked out Vet tech cafe or radio vet nurse, those are, those are some pretty cool um, podcasts and I listen to them too. So if you don't, you should check them out. And they listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll put links in the show notes too. So if you haven't already found them, you can, you can find them. Yeah, definitely. This week, we're going to be discussing coagulopathies and hemostasis, which I'm a big fan of. I, was, I had a lot of fun doing these notes, because, but it was a little difficult trying to figure out how to get it to not be too detailed. <laughs> like, yeah, I, we, we kind of talked about this yesterday when we were kind mm-hmm. of reviewing notes beforehand. It's, it's hard because there are so many disease-specific things with coagulopathies that we tried to be broad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but not too vague. Yeah. And then, you know, we didn't want to spend a ton of time on the clotting cascade, but we definitely have to mention it. Um, and we'll... Mm-hmm. <laughs> We'll find the best looking picture to go with this episode to yes. to post because, you know, I remember trying to understand the clotting cascade when I was in school and I don't have it memorized, but I do no. appreciate it. Yeah. And, and like a good picture is just helpful. So yeah. 
But this week, so the hemostatic balance is actually maintained by physiological inhibitors in the plasma. So you have your, which we'll kind of get into what I mean by that here soon, but Mm -hmm. you have your things that trigger clotting and then you have your things to inhibit clotting. And they're both very, very important for like maintaining a good balance in the body. Um, And these inhibitors are responsible for localizing coagulation activity and preventing systemic coagulation. So when I say systemic coagulation, that's your like DIC. You don't want to, you don't want your whole body to be clotting. Yeah, no, that would be all bad. Yeah. So if all those inhibitors are off balance, you can have hypocoagulation, which leads to hemorrhage. You can have hypercoagulation, which can lead to thrombosis, or you can have both, which is DIC or disseminated intravascular coagulation, which when I was studying about DIC, I had to reread it several times to be like, wait, so it's hypercoagulating mostly. Yeah. So (laughs) when I, I was, but then they bleed because their platelets are everywhere else. Yeah. So when I, when I taught this to students, I was like, so basically what happens is you have your normal amount of platelets. Usually, you know, you're walking around throughout the day, like little tiny capillaries, they rip the platelets form little clots. Like it's all like, you know, a nice happy balance. But then all of a sudden you get this like inflammatory state, which just like activates all those clotting factors and all of your platelets Mm -hmm. clot, but they're not clotting in appropriate places. Mm -hmm. So there's like little clots just thrown everywhere. And now all your platelets are used. So Mm -hmm. now it's like we're places where you need a clot to happen. So those little capillaries that are ripping when you're moving, it can't. So now all of a sudden you just start bleeding everywhere because all of your resources are used in inappropriate places. Exactly. That's why it was like, it was so fascinating for me to read about that because it took me a while to really truly understand what was happening. So I think that was just, it's, it's a fascinating disease, but if you've ever seen it, it's scary as hell. Like it's, it's awful. It's one of those things where it sneaks up on you. And if you don't pay attention, it, it, it's hard to like play catch up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's so scary. So um, we're kind of going back to tech school in this one because we're going to talk about <laughs> like the steps of hemostasis <laughs> because yeah, we're doing cool. basics first. <laughs> we're going to talk about diseases. I would love to do a whole episode on DIC alone Ooh, just because it's yeah. amazing. Um, get into like the really nitty gritty. But anyway, so we're <laughs> going to start off with primary hemostasis. And that is the first step to your clotting. So this is going to be, so it relies on the endothelium and the platelets and platelet adherence and activation represents the first step of hemostasis. So you cut yourself. The very Mm -hmm. first step of hemostasis is your platelets going to that cut. It's like a bandaid. We've talked about this, try to figure out how to like say it in a simple way. (laughs) Yeah. We we were joking that the platelets are your bandaid, right? And the endothelium, just in case you forgot what the endothelium is, it's the inside lining of your vessels. Mm -hmm. So your blood vessels. So endo being inside, right? So you get a break in your vessel and the platelets go, Whoa, there's a, there's a breach in the dam. Right. And they Mm kind of just stretch across and they hold it together and they're like, ah, we need something to plug it up. We've got a basic, it's not getting bigger, but yeah. we need it to like close. So your platelets are that yeah. bandaid um, and yeah. they stick to the walls of the endothelium, which is, which is pretty cool. 
which they don't do by itself. Uh, the von Willebrand factor is necessary for platelet adhesion. So they can't mm -hmm. stick if von Willebrand's factor isn't there, which is mm -hmm. why when you do have a von Willebrand disease pet, which again, I'm certain we'll have an episode about von Willebrand's yeah. disease, <laughs> but that's why they bleed. Like their platelet numbers are normal, but they can't adhere properly. Yeah. So, and then once adhered, the platelets become activated. So what they do is they aggregate, they secrete, and they contract. And what this does is it initiates the smooth muscle contraction of the vessel wall along with platelet contraction to form like a platelet plug. So what it does is it tries to pull the, the vessel wall together as it forms a band-aid. And it's funny too, because when I think about this, I think I've watched too many movies because we just recently watched Ant-Man. <laughs> and thinking nice. of the platelets kind of adhering to a vessel wall makes me think of like how fire ants build like their little boats. Yeah. Have you ever seen, we watch a lot of animal shows. Yeah. But fire ants, they build themselves like little rafts or little, little bridges and stuff like that's what I think of is your platelets as fire ants, just like trying to bring everything together. <laughs> I think also regular ants do this, but fire ants are especially good at it. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it, it was interesting. We, um, cause we, we used Eclin path, the website a lot, such a good website episode, but there was this really cool, um, I think it was a diagram, but it talked about platelets and when they get activated. So we, we kind of talked about this in episode, was it 21? The, the hematology yes. episode 21. Yeah. So the, the platelet itself, once it leaves, and is circulate once it leaves the bone marrow and is circulating in your blood vessels, it's, it's that one size. Well, what's cool is it can break apart into smaller pieces. Cause we talked mm -hmm. about the macro platelet breaking mm -hmm. into platelets. Well, the platelets that are circulating can also break down into smaller little pieces and they can actually change shape and kind of smush out, which is mm -hmm. cool. And so <clears throat> it, <laughs> Now I'm like, instead of just fuzzy pocket lint, now I'm thinking like Play-Doh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it splats up against the wall. It spreads out. It connects to those other platelets. And then it kind of like starts to blob together again, right? It kind of pulls it and contracts, which is really cool. Have you ever seen those toys? They're actually the worst toys in the world. Um, <laughs> but they're like these little balls and... It, they're kind of like Velcro, but they like stick together and you can build things out of them. Like, so you can build like dogs and like, we had oh, a few, no. like we had one little box of them and they're like, yeah, these little balls of like the like hard part of Velcro. And so they oh. stuck together, but then they stick to everything. So like they stick to kids' hair. <laughs> <laughs> it, they're horrible. They're the worst toys ever. If you have kids, don't freaking buy them. So they're they good got stuck theory. in the carpet. They got stuck in the kids' hair. Oh, no. They got stuck on shirts. The like dog hair was just like <laughs> they were disgusting. I was like, I need to find every single one of these. But oh, they're like amazing. platelets. They stick and they do a job. To do. <laughs> it was awful though. <laughs> anyway, platelets are pretty amazing though. Like it doesn't it doesn't click how much platelets do until you like really sit there and think about it. And which we'll get into this into Hashtag testing. So I'll, I'll hold off. I'm on. a nerd. <laughs> Yeah, I had a really good time doing this episode. I was going to say, we totally geeked out on it. It's, it's a yes. <laughs> so once your platelet plug is formed, though, then that leads us into secondary hemostasis. And this is the activation of our clotting factors, our coagulation factors. And there's two types of coagulation systems. So mm -hmm. it begins, your, so you have intrinsic 
coagulation system and you have your extrinsic coagulation system. One's inside the body and one's outside the body. It's pretty, In pretty, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So your intrinsic begins by the exposure of blood to negatively charged surfaces of the end damaged endothelium. Long story short, when you're walking around and your little capillaries rip, that, that starts the, the intrinsic coagulation cascade. Mm -hmm. And then your e extrinsic coagulation system is the exposure of blood to the extravascular tissues. So mm -hmm. when you cut yourself or get stabbed and need to take a union bio. <laughs> like <laughs> oh, the union bio. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Full circle here. And, and intrinsic too. So this is, so, so we talked about, I don't know if it was in the Facebook group or if it was in another vet tech group, but, um, <clears throat> we talked about when you poke a patient, so your needle mm -hmm. enters into the tissues. So this is one of the reasons why, like for your PT, PTT clotting factors and stuff like that, you want it to be as clean of a stick as possible mm -hmm. because you don't want to accidentally activate the extrinsic system mm -hmm. before you get into your blood. So you, or excuse me, into your blood vessel. So you want to be as clean as possible. So you get the most accurate kind of reading. So that's, that's part of the reason why we try not to fish <laughs> for the vein, especially when you're trying to get your blue top tube filled. Exactly. Um, and because it'll, and that's why they recommend vacutainers a lot too, is because mm -hmm. like the exposure to the air can trigger your cascade to start which is good but if you're looking for that specific number then your numbers are going to be skewed and so but your intrinsic coagulation system includes uh several factors and if you remember from tech school there's 12 factors coagulation factors like actual numbers but then tissue factor is one of them so technically 13 <laughs> um well but then there's like there's all sorts a, of stuff to like and 12 yeah. a but like if I'm going to talk about the base, like the 12 slash 13 <laughs> that <Yeah>. we mostly <laughs> think about. Um, so your intrinsic, so your inside the body coagulation factors include uh, clotting factors number 12, 11, 9, and 8. And then your extrinsic system. So they, there's like, it's like a, it's like a B. You have your intrinsic like that goes down one way. Yeah, and then your extrinsic that goes down one way, and then they kind of meet in the middle, which I'll talk about in a second. Mm -hmm. But your your extrinsic coagulation system heavily relies on tissue factors, so this plays a huge role, and it's abundantly present on extravascular tissues. So that is when you poke your needle into a vessel and you miss the first time, you're you're stimulating that tissue factor to start mm -hmm. calling all the rest of the of the cascade. <laughs> it's like hey, and, and then something's here. So you that have your be here. Exactly. Like bring <laughs> clotting factors. Yeah. So your tissue factor starts it. And then the other factors include factors three and factor seven, which, so the extrinsic factor, like clotting cascade, it is a lot smaller. So both the intrinsic and extrinsic coagulation systems end at the common pathway. So it ends with the conversion of prothrombin to thrombin, which is critical for clot formation. And I do talk about that a little bit more, but it initiates factor X, factor 10, and that mm. ultimately starts the pathway to the, the common pathway. Um, and those factors include factors 10, 10A, 5, 2, and 1. Mm -hmm. and, and, and ultimately that leads to clot formation. So that is where you have your clot you had your platelet plug. Now you have your clot. Yeah. So I, 
I, I, oh God, you can find diagrams of the clotting cascade that are really intense and in depth. We particularly like kind of the simpler ones. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think of it as like a tree where you have the intrinsic mm-hmm. and the extrinsic, and then they come together at the trunk. The trunk starts kind of at 10 and yep. then it goes down to create the same thing because essentially that's what it is, right? We just want to make sure like, is it because a blood vessel has been damaged or is it because something has entered our tissues and we need to form a clot and, and fix this, right? So you, mm-hmm. you form that clot over, you know, you've got your platelets that are basically the scaffolding or the, you know, the, the mesh that <laughs> holds the wound together. And mm-hmm. then it's like the putty that goes in and like plugs up all the holes is your, your clots, right? So you need both, right? Mm-hmm. You need the matrix and then you need the stuff that actually closes up and seals it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's where, you know, the clot really forms. And then eventually, you know, this is where you get like contraction of everything because it pulls, mm-hmm. pulls in together and makes things smaller. Right. Especially well, and if you think back, I think there's actually a magic school bus episode about this. Honestly, oh. we'll have to find it. I'm certain there was <laughs> because I remember this vividly that there was. So they talk about the clotting cascade in the magic school bus and it ends with like the clot and then how it forms a scab. So then your white blood cells come in and then your nice. plasma and stuff comes in and that's how you form your scab. Like that's why when you get injured and, or like you have a scab forming, like that's why you see that serosanguinous like stuff is cause that's your white blood cells and your plasma mm-hmm. really coming in to really form that scab. So it's not your clot that forms your scab. It's your other, I'm going to have to, to see if I can find a link to that magic school bus episode. I mean, honestly, it was actually like really good. Magic school buses involved. We'll all get it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that from like, I would say like 25 years ago, but it was probably, I don't know. I have kids. I watched it again. Like, yeah. Your kids are like, show. that's interesting. And you're like, I just got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm 30 years old and it took the magic school bus to tell me how that works. You know, but, though, I'm going to say this, like, if you can have fun learning, your brain's going to remember it better. Yeah. The Magic School yeah. Bus was a great show. Whoever invented that show, like, should Geniuses. be stupid rich because I wish my kids would watch it more. Anyway, I'm getting <laughs> off here. So after your clot formation, now the body's job is to kind of remove the clot. Like, you don't want clots to just stay in your body forever because then you throw clots and... Well, and you lots of bad things can happen, and you can kind of think of. I'm gonna dork out right for a second. Think of it as a river, and you have a beaver that built a dam, right? You don't want the dams to stay forever because then nothing moves. So you have to have breakdowns of dams occasionally. (laughs) No, so the water flows or the blood flows. Hopefully, the blood. (laughs) So this process is called fibrinolysis. Um, and this is initiated simultaneously with the activation of the coagulation cascade. So Mm -hmm. at the same time that your clotting factors are trying to form a clot, this fibrinolysis is also trying to get started to remove the clot. So it's kind of a, it's a weird thing because you think that that clot should stay there for a little bit longer before that scab forms, but really like the body's trying to break it down. Well, and it, it's also trying to keep, to make sure it doesn't go insane. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like you don't want keep it, it to just, in a, 
because the thing is is like once it's once the clotting cascade is formed right we need something to tell the cascade to be like cool <laughs> we have enough <laughs> like yep. you can stop now so the body starts that um fibrinolysis to make sure that you know we're not all of a sudden just like you get one tiny paper cut and your entire arm is clotted yeah exactly. <laughs> what <sauce>. right <laughs> so we need something <laughs> to like tell it okay enough cool <laughs> Stop going because, you know, otherwise they get gung-ho and just find, form a giant clot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is the process of the conversion of plasminogen to plasmin. And then plasmin's role in coagulation is to degrade fibrin and fibrinogen into fibrinogen and fibrin degradation products. So FDPs. <laughs> <laughs> I right? dare you to say that 10 times fast and remember it past this episode. There's no way. No. Um, <laughs> so plasmin plays a really important role because it, I know everybody's probably experienced when you, you know, when you spin down like a serum separator tube too soon and then you have that big fibrinogen clot. Or the dreaded white top tube. Yeah. Ugh. So we were plasmin's just role. about that this week. Sometimes <laughs> you have to spin it five times and then. I like, you know, but if it, you stir it up, though, it goes away. Most of the time. For the most, <laughs> yeah. For the most part. Yeah. But anyway, so that's plasmin's role. And this is what I think of is I think of plasmin stirring up that little fibrinogen clot yeah. to break it down. And um, so then it forms these FDPs um, or fibrinogen degradation products to degrade activated factors. And the factors that they're essentially turning off and getting rid of are factors five, factors eight, uh, factors nine, and factors 11. Which and are... Then, those are all, um, those are all the in intrinsic, right? Okay. Well, I, it's a combination cause factor. So it's all like intrinsic and extrinsic, but not the common pathway. Is that right? Am I looking at this right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and that actually makes sense. Like you don't want, you don't want, want the vessel the to keep saying like, bring it. Yeah. But you do want it to keep the clot which is the common pathway mm-hmm, so that makes exactly. sense like stop forming yeah. more but let's keep what we have so yeah think of yeah. it think of it that way that plasmin and plasmin breaks down or stops the extrinsic and intrinsic but lets the common pathway still do what it needs to do exactly and then these fdps are actually removed from circulation by the liver i put this note in there specifically because I talk about it a little bit more, but essentially hmm. when you have liver disease, you see those coagulation or those coagulopathies where their FDPs aren't being removed. So either oh. they're, they're just, they just keep breaking down all these clotting factors and then oh, wow. they're so not, they're not being removed because of it. Yeah, exactly. So you're not breaking down. The liver's not able to say, Stop breaking down my clots. Like, See, stop. I think I just had a magic school bus moment right there. I was like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> this makes more sense to me. Exactly. Anybody else want so, to join I mean, me on a wow on that one <laughs> if you're listening out there? <laughs> yeah. I knew I had to put something like specific to the liver because I was like, someone, I need to make this clear. <laughs> like, That's actually, I mean, that, that totally makes sense why 
you know, we, um, so in internal medicine, we do a lot of finatal aspirates of things, including mm-hmm. the liver. And so if we see a patient that is jaundice, right, we say, let's mm-hmm. check our PTPTT before we go exactly. poking the liver. Um, because, and now it makes sense, not just because of like vitamin K and all that stuff, but yeah, if they're not removing the, the things that tell FDPs that stops, yeah. that stops coagulation, mm-hmm. then if we poke something, it potentially coagulation could more. Okay. Exactly. Right. So that's when you, yeah. It, cool. It's such a weird thing because you can, it's like a DIC moment where mm-hmm. it's breaking down these clots because they're not being removed. So your clots just keep kind of dissipating yeah. versus like instead of really staying. Yeah, what it needs to do. Exactly. Exactly. So you do cool. continue to bleed, even though your clotting factors are still technically there and doing there, what they need to just, do. They're just being deactivated too. Soon. Exactly. Exactly. So then you have your coagulation inhibitors that also help with this prop, <laughs> this process. So antithrombin is the most important inhibitor. Um, it's a very important thing to remember antithrombin. Just say it like over and over and over again. Mm. So this keeps the balance between coagulation and fibrinolysis in order. And this minimizes bleeding to ensure continuous organ perfusion. Mm. So your antithrombin is like, the also traffic helps director. with that. <laughs> like, yeah. it's I like, mean, yes. God, it's so crazy when you think about all these like little things that just work in a, like a yeah. symphony in your body, right? Exactly. And then it's it like, because one thing gets thrown off and things go horribly, horribly wrong. I know that damn liver and toxicities and crap <sighs> screwing everything up. I just, I just, I, I love that we're throwing the liver in here because I know Ashley, if she's listening, she's probably very excited because the liver is her favorite organ. So it's funny because I was thinking <laughs> about her when I was talking about the FDPs Aww. being removed from circulation. I was like, Ashley Dupree would be so proud of me. <laughs> like, she loves all things liver. Uh, I know. And then, so antithrombin is also removed via the liver. So again, if the liver is damaged then you don't have that traffic director saying, yes, clotting factors go here. And yes, uh, my too much fibrinolysis it, needs it to start here. Crazy. Yeah, exactly. Again, so, find balance of everything in the body. Otherwise. The body's amazing when you actually like break it down to what it does. Yeah. Like it blows my mind. Like I know we learned about all this in school, but every time I like reread about something, I'm it's- always just like, Holy crap. <laughs> like, right? You kind of read these things and you're like, why are we not already dead? <laughs> like, like, well, that, how, like, how is this all in balance still? And how does it work so well? Well, that, and then like, you, you remember imagine, all the things like, that go wrong and you're like, oh, that's why. <laughs> the people who like first discovered like some of this stuff. Yeah. Can you imagine how smart they were to not have a freaking clue what is going on in the body? And then yeah. you'd be like, actually, there's all these clotting factors that do this, this, and this, <laughs> and this is why. <laughs> like, well, that was, um, I wish I was that before. Smart. That was like the crazy witch people that are like, "I blew this smoke at you, and it got rid of your bad humors." Just wait, wait until we talk about our blood transfusions, because I got into the history in that, oh, and like I was yeah. talking about like the history of like first blood transfusions. It was ama- like I can't wait to talk about that. Can't wait. Yeah. The history anyway, of medicine is really interesting too. Sorry. Which I never 
used to care about until recently. And now I'm like, it's just mind blowing because like, think of how much our field is growing like just now. Yeah. But like, could you imagine like not knowing anything, not knowing that you could give blood from a dog to a dog and then well, doing it and being like, holy sure crap. Those <laughs> like, people were burned at the stake. I'm just saying. <laughs> They're like, what is this black magic that you were doing? <laughs> I mean, probably, it'd probably be pretty terrifying to try to come up with something like that and then be like, no, seriously, like, I'm not kidding. (laughs) I'm not a witch. (laughs) Right. Like you're, you literally like risk your life for it. Anyway, I'm getting off topic here. I know. It's okay. So common (laughs) coagulation diseases that we see, and I broke these down into categories because we have our thrombotic disorders. So our platelet disorders, and then we have our diseases of coagulation. Mm -hmm. And I don't go into too terribly much detail about this because again, we're going to have episodes on like things like IDP. So our thrombotic disorders, we have systemic arterial thromboembolism. So those are cats that throw a thrombus, saddle thrombus. Um, They call it fate feline feline arterial thromboembolism. Those are bad. But I went to a lecture once about how they like take devices like and expand the vessel and break down the clot. It was actually really cool, but I wonder how many clients would actually do it. I was going to say the problem with that is like, you have to do it pretty quickly and yeah, it's a very specialized equipment and, and it doesn't work all the time. Yeah. Like it's still a really dangerous procedure. Yeah. And the clot formed for a reason, which again, we will have an episode because the reason <laughs> why saddle thrombosis forms still blows my mind and I love talking about it. And then you have pulmonary arterial thromboembolism. So you're clots that get thrown to the lungs that occurs pretty commonly in um, Cushing's patients and your like your pulmonary hypertension, IMHA, ITP. (laughs) Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Again, inflammation, severe inflammation sets off the clotting cascade. Mm -hmm. So a lot of your, your pro-inflammatory diseases, you're going to be more susceptible to throwing a clot, which exactly. And then you have thrombocytopenia. And then under that, I kind of threw in that congenital macro thrombocytopenia because I do want to talk about that. Um, (laughs) So that is where you have low platelets. So we know our our penia means low. So thrombocytopenia and then the congenital macro thrombocytopenia is just a congenital disorder where they have giant platelets. Yeah. Yeah. Low numbers, but it's normal for them. Mm -hmm. And then you have thrombocytosis, which is excess platelets. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I've seen this too terribly much. I would say the the time that I saw or, or that I see it kind of common, but it's it's transient, is when um, you have an ITP or an Evans or an IMHA, right? Really, and you hit them with all the drugs, right? Mm-hmm. And then the bone marrow is like, oh, I got to produce all the, the things, right? And then it's, it's like, a like it produces all the cells. <laughs> like, it doesn't just discriminate and go, oh, you need more red blood cells. I'm just going to do red blood cells. Yeah, it does yeah. everything. And then all of a sudden you see, you know, 600,000 platelets and you're like, oh, okay, you got enough platelets. Cool. Yeah. But thank yeah. you for also making red blood cells. <laughs> yeah. Right? So that's where I kind of see it. Yeah. And that can be due to drugs, like you said, inflammation, infection, iron deficiency, perineoplastic mm. diseases. So cancer, because cancer mm. does whatever it wants. And then endocrine disorders, which I know we talked about in the Cushing's episode, because mm. I know I talked about how Cushing's patients actually have a higher likelihood of throwing um, PTE. So, mm. um, And then you have thrombocytopat 
thrombocytopathia, which is platelet cool dysfunction. Word. I know. I don't think I've actually we don't that. talk about that a lot. Yeah. Um, and this can be caused by drugs as well. DIC, liver failure, anemia, paraproteinemia. Um, and that is where you have adequate number of platelets, but they aren't able to do what they need to do, like adherence yeah. and stuff. And that's different from the von Willebrand's disease. It's the platelets can't do, they can't stick, they can't expand, they can't contract, they can't, they just don't do anything. They're just there. Right. They're there, but they're not functioning. Yeah, which I know we'll talk about this a little bit more in like ITP, but there is there is a treatment in ITP where you give vincristine to stimulate mm -hmm. red or to stimulate platelets from being released. Mm -hmm. There is some controversy nowadays that say that, yes, you see the number of pl platelets out there, but they're actually not functioning as well. So yes, you have more platelets, but they're still not doing what they need to do. So, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see more information on it, but yeah, that's, that'd be interesting, you know, and it makes sense because plate dysfunction, platelet dysfunction caused by drugs. Well, then Christine's a chemotherapy mm -hmm. <laughs> and it likes to make things upset. Right. So yes, then Christine can get you more numbers, but they may not work as well. And the only way you would know that is to be testing function versus function. numbers. Yeah, versus exactly. Numbers. Yeah, exactly. And, and we do talk about that a little bit. And then of yeah. course the last of the thrombotic disorders is von Willebrand's disease. Cause we mm -hmm. kind of talked about what von Willebrand factor does. Mm -hmm. It's still, it helps the platelets, even though, I think it is still lumped under coagulation factor, but, and then, mm -hmm. and our diseases of coagulation include hemophilia. So there's type A and type B, mm. and then there's feline factor. So hemophilia A is deficiency of factor eight of the intrinsic pathway. Mm. And then hemophilia B is deficiency of factor nine of the intrinsic pathway as well. And I know a lot of this super is genetic with people. Mm -hmm. Um, do we see it that much in veterinary medicine? Did, did um, you see, was there any like stuff? There's on breeds. Hang on. Um, because I do have breeds in here, but because it's a genetic thing. So it is highly recommended to not breed those patients. I don't oh, know so why. So hemophilia A and but... B is genetic, which I mean, it makes sense when we're talking about you, you have a deficiency of something in that, that to me seems like your genes would make. Yeah. So that yeah. makes sense. Exactly. Let me, so hemophilia A is the most common inherited coagulopathy. Um, let me see if it gives a list of breeds. Deficiencies more common in large breed dogs and German shepherds are overrepresented. And then hemophilia B is the second most common and Labradors are overrepresented. And hmm. it's, it's because of a like inherited, like recessive gene in males are more commonly affected than females. Um, females, it can be difficult to kind of identify in them, but they, they do have crazy. episodes of hemorrhage. That's so crazy because honestly, I don't think I've ever heard of a patient specifically diagnosed with it. So I, think I wonder, I've had one. I wonder like how, how many are out there that just don't get diagnosed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and then cats have been, it's been diagnosed in, both A and B have been diagnosed in cats, but then cats yeah. have that. So they do have like, a, it's really common actually where f they have feline factor 12 deficiency. Hmm. So they're lacking that coagulation factor. So that's when 
And it's funny too, because when I got into internal medicine, one of my internists actually talked to me about this because we ran coags on a cat before doing a liver aspirate. And then I, I accidentally ran an APTT because she said coags. And she's mm. like, no, that's like, that can be normally high. And it was high. So the PT was normal and the APTT was abnormal. It was high, but that's like, that can be a quote unquote normal finding in a cat because it doesn't actually lead to bleeding. Hmm. So there's nothing to do about it. It's just a deficiency. Hmm. Um, and so those cats actually don't hemorrhage. They just go about their lives. You can still poke them. Huh. Yeah. Toxicity can cause coagulation diseases. Oof, and the yeah. most common toxicities that we know of are rodenticide toxicities. That's the one that we Worth always them. think of, but NSAIDs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a dog on chronic NSAID therapy and then you perform a surgery, it actually, it actually messes with their platelets more so than their clotting factors, but it kind of presents similar. Mm. And then of course my favorite liver disease. <laughs> so most cases of severe acute or chronic hepatic disease may have clinical hemorrhage. And this is due yeah. to the decreased production of clotting factors. So you have decreased production of clotting factors. And then you also have the fact that the liver can't break down the antithrombin and the FDPs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, so. and, and one of the things, cause I think everybody thinks of vitamin K, right? When yep. we think clotting, we think rodenticide, give them vitamin K, blah, blah, blah. Well, the liver normally produces vitamin K for the body. So if there is liver disease, you know, it's not producing that vitamin K, which is one of our more important cl- um, clotting factors. So, you know, you kind of start putting the pieces together and it makes more sense. Yeah, exactly. And there's lots of testing that can be done. And you like all my notes here? Um, I'm going to just give a cheat sheet, though, because the eClinPath website is where I got most of this information on all the testing. And they have this wonderful... Yeah. (sighs) They had this wonderful, wonderful chart on, um, like, kind of the order of doing your testing and why. So we'll have to see if we can, like, share that because it was... It was great. It started off with like, check platelets. Are they low? Yes, then do this. Are they normal? Yes, then do this. Are they low or high? Then yes, do this. Mm, like, yeah. And it, it starts with just platelets and then moves down to like what other testing you should do after that based nice. on what you're finding. Yeah, it's it's really really cool. I was yeah, so we can definitely we can definitely share that link, especially in our Facebook uh, group. We'll just we'll just share mm-hmm. it. Yeah, cool. I can't wait. Um, I'll let you talk about the tag though. Cause I don't really know. I've never used that. <laughs> so, uh, w- so there's, I heard about the tag machine a while ago, um, from my doctor and she was very excited about the tag. So tag is the thromboelastogram or thromboelastography. So what it basically does, um, and, uh, th- VCM is the viscoelastic coagulation monitor. So it, it, they're basically the same. I think it's just a brand type thing. So, mm-hmm. so basically what it does is you, so I use the VCM. I, I believe the tag is kind of the same idea mm-hmm. is you, you poke your pet it needs, or your patient um, and it needs to be a clean stick, right? Cause we don't want to accidentally activate the uh, extrinsic. So clean stick. And then the blood goes directly into the machine and gets run right away. <clears throat> and so the VCM that I have, it's like this little cartridge it has a little well, you put the blood in there. It soaks into the little cartridge. The cartridge goes into the machine. And then what it does, it's really cool. It, it takes 
I think it's 45 minutes to an hour for the entire test. It's a, it's a long test mm-hmm. because what it does is it literally like gives you this graph of how long does it take for the platelet plug to form mm-hmm. and the clot to form. And then it tells you how long it takes for that clot to break down. So it gives you this like really cool, like bell curve kind of looking That's thing. Awesome. Um, I have a picture somewhere. I'll, I'll post it into the Facebook um, group so that people can see it. It's really cool. And the nice thing is because it has that graph and it has it over the time, doctors can look at that and see, okay, are they hypercoagulable? Are they hypocoagulable? You know, what is it the clots forming, but it's breaking down too fast. So it's really cool because you can see like the dynamic formation and degradation of the clot, which is really cool. Um, so instead of doing a PT, PTT, which is kind of our normal go-to, which if that's all you have, you do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can see this whole thing. But the problem is it takes an hour, <laughs> right? From what I understand, the TEG, which is what a lot of universities use, um, when my doctor was talking about it, it's this very, it's a, it's a very picky machine mm-hmm. um, that has to be like, you can't move it because if you move it, it like gets upset versus the VCM is kind of smaller, much hmm. easier to use, and it's a less expensive piece of equipment. Um, so it's just a really good diagnostic tool for monitoring. And so like we use it, we use it for hospitalized patients a lot, but you can also use it for patients that are like on long-term steroids or, mm-hmm. you know, have those hypercoagulable states like IMHA, ITP, those kinds of things to see when you can stop giving like aspirin and Plavix and and that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, because it tests more than just like one factor or the other. So yeah, that's actually really cool. Yeah. And then of course, like we do platelet testing. So platelet count (laughs) and volume, platelet function. I think where, and then you have, that's our, what are so they they have different tests. And like I said, the eClin path has these tests listed out to do this, but yeah. they have like global assays that tell the platelet number and function. And then like BMBT or buccal mucosal bleeding time, mm-hmm. uh, platelet function analyzers, which I don't have one of those. That would be interesting. I mean, um, I don't, does the TEG and VCM, no. Well, I, I guess it would. kind of functions. As, I don't know if it's yeah. specifically, but that yeah. would kind of fall into that. Hmm. Yeah whole blood clotting time and clot rea- uh, retraction, which I yeah. imagine would probably fall under that tag because probably, yeah. And then like you have your Von Willebrand's factor that you measure and there's many different tests for that, but we do a BMBT if we want an answer quick. We did one yeah. last week on a patient who was bleeding and we're like, nope, you're good. Right. <laughs> so. right. Yeah. The BMBT, it's, it's crazy because we don't do them as much, but they're very specific in there and, and there's a good reason for it. And they're fairly mm-hmm. simple to do. Right. If, yeah, definitely. I, I think, I think it was a requirement. Was it a requirement in school for us to know how to do one? Yes, definitely. I was going to say, I think it was on the list of like AVMA required tasks. Yeah. List, like, I'm pretty sure yeah. we do one. Pr- we do them pretty frequently. Like we do oh, them for yeah. every C. Yeah. We do them for every CT rhino, every CT rhino. Oh, that's funny because we do PT, PTT for those. Oh, see, we don't. We do huh. platelets and BMBT. Hmm. Interesting. So I don't know why. 
Uh, and then like some people do. Well, a no, but I, but I understand why you would do the BMBT because you don't have something like a VCM. So yeah. your BMBT is going to basically do the same thing. It's going to yeah. tell you tell me how I have quickly the clot <laughs> forms, yeah. right? Whereas and it tells me that my platelets are functioning. Yeah, exactly. So like I, I do the platelet count and that's normal, but the BMBT tells me that the platelets are actually functioning. <laughs> so you don't so. bleed out in rhino because I've definitely heard of patients needing blood transfusions from them. You I haven't had it happen, but I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. They put vessel wall biopsy on this list of testing. That would freak me out if you're worried about a clotting <laughs> disease. But that, I have never done that. I have never done that. I've never heard of that. And then you have your coagulation factors. So your ACT test, your PT, which is your prothrombin, and then APTT, um, TCT, which what did that stand for? That stood for thrombin clotting time. I don't remember. Probably. I've never um, even heard of a TCT. Crazy. I remember reading about it. And then PIFCA. PIFCA, which is proteins induced by vitamin K absence or antagonism. Yeah. And those ones, I know we send those out to the lab. Um, mm-hmm. We do them for like some, well, we used to, now we have the PTPTT, but we used to do them when um, rechecking like our rodenticides. Um, or if you're suspicious, uh, you know, suspecting Von Willebrand, did we do it for Von Willebrand's? I mean, I probably did it to rule out stuff. Um, but I remember we had to like spin it down and then freeze it and send it to the lab. And it was just, it was a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then we test for the inhibitors, um, with mm-hmm. there's an antithrombin test and then your protein C, which I just had a protein C run on me the other day. Yeah, so the protein C can tell you if your inhibitors are working properly. Yeah, I think I use or I've sent out protein Cs when we suspect like a pulmonary thromboembolism on patients or we're monitoring a pro- monitoring for a pet that we know has a PTE. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've done it on like liver patients too. Oh yeah, we've definitely done it for liver patients. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a common test that we run. They have therapeutic heparin monitoring, and that's for those patients on heparin, which terrifies me. Um, and then they have anticoagulant rodenticide screens, I guess. I've never run any of those. Um, and then, like, yeah. there's other testing to check for degradation, um, which is your FDPs, and that's a D-dimer test, protein activity or Actually, concentration. I totally lie. The protein C was not... <laughs> Protein C is not for our PTEs. D-dimer is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so everybody that was yelling at the radio right now for me saying that it was for PTE, just kidding. D-dimers is what we test for um, monitoring PTEs and how they're doing. So just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. And then they have like, plasminogen activator inhibitors. The majority of these tests I have not done. Um, I've done no. D-dimers, <laughs> protein Cs, PT, ABT, uh, ACT, vitamin K testing, BMBT, platelet stuff, Von Willebrand factor. Like I've done all like the first stuff, but all these other special testing I haven't yeah, done. Yeah, and I would, I would think that a lot of these special tests are probably at a university setting because I think Eclan Path is Cornell. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which makes sense that Cornell would have a lot of these things, right? Yeah. Um, but, and, and the hard part is we, there's, there's quite a few of these tests mm-hmm. that are very time specific. So if you don't have the equipment there, you can't even send it out. Um, yeah, exactly. Because- and it's like the procedure to obtain these samples is so specific too, yeah. which. Yeah. I was going to say, it, it's funny because like, um, some of my coworkers will be like, Hey Yvonne, like what tube do I need to draw for mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I do not, please do not trust my memory. Because yeah, I have right? drawn the wrong tube and sent it off. I always, I, I just look at the lab form and be like, what test do I need? Or what blood do I need? How do I need to draw it? Do I refrigerate it? Do I refreeze it? Because they're so specific and I don't, yeah. don't want to get them wrong. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that kind of leads into our tip of the week. So it's the tip of the week. So read the instructions for your lab samples because some tests require vacutainers, some tests mm-hmm. require freezing, some tests require spinning and separating immediately, some tests require it sitting for an hour and then spinning and separating. Um, yeah. And then, like we said last week, don't poke the jugular if a coagulation <laughs> disease is suspected. Please. I think I think that's just like an internal medicine thing. Like I very rarely poke a jugular. Yeah, exactly. Because everything has some sort of clotting problem. Well, yeah. Like if it has a liver <laughs> disease, then we definitely don't poke the jugular. Right. Like if it has any autoimmune disease, we don't poke the jugular. Mm-hmm. If it has kidney disease, I mean, sometimes we could, I guess. Yeah. If it has respiratory disease, we don't. Right. Um, <laughs> if it has high it, blood pressure, I don't because I don't want to pop an eyeball. If it has Cushing's yeah. disease, we don't because they yeah. can throw clots. Um, <laughs> so. so really like 90% of our patients, we just don't do jugulars. I always get excited when I'm like, I can poke a jugular on this patient. And it's very exciting. Yeah. And with, with the, the vacutainers, do you use the vacutainer that just has the needle or do you use the one with the butterfly that goes into? I have both. Okay. Yeah. I love the, I, I love I'm a, butterflies by the way. Yeah. Exactly. We, I use butterflies every I day. I use a lot of butterflies. So do I. Yeah. But the vacutainer butterflies are way more expensive. So. Oh, I don't, maybe, I don't have to pay for Cause them. I do the ordering. Yeah. Well, I mean, neither <laughs> do I, but I, like, I, I do know. the ordering, so I know how much they cost. Exactly. So when, like, if I use a butterfly vacutainer and then I don't get it, I feel really bad because they cost a dollar a piece and I wasted a dollar. Well, but the cool thing, okay, but the cool thing is you can easily just grab a regular butterfly as long as the blood has not touched that little piece that goes into the vacuum hanger. Yeah. Just switch out the butterfly part. Yeah. This is, this is why I like my butterflies. Yeah. Um, the other thing too about using the vacuum hanger with the butterfly, so the butterflies that I use, the line itself is... I think it's 0.4 mils. Mm -hmm. It'll it'll say on the packaging. And I think the most common is like 0.4 mils. So this is like something to just keep in the back of your mind when you're doing a vacutainer, especially if you're putting it into a tube, like an EDTA or um, the the citrated blood tube. So blue top or purple Mm -hmm. top, make sure that you're looking at the volume that needs to be in there. And you either one, if you're using butterfly, right, you're letting the blood come all the way to the end of the butterfly and then attaching everything. 
Or sometimes what I do is um, like if I'm drawing um, a tiger top or a white top tube as well, is mm-hmm. I use that to start the blood flowing. And then I attach mm-hmm. my blue and purple top because I want to make sure the anticoagulant to blood ratio is appropriate. Mm-hmm. So that's just, it. that's just one of those things that. Well, and if you're using a vacutainer too, you don't want that anticoagulant to get on the, the tip thingy that pokes yeah. into the tube. Yeah. In theory. <laughs> yeah. It so there's, um, it's such a minimal amount. Usually it's not a problem, but yeah. ideally, you know, you're not having that. The other yeah. thing you can do too is um, like sometimes what I'll do is like if I, th- this is the other reason I like butterflies is if you're in the blood vessel and you hook up and sometimes the vacuum is too much, right? For the blood vessel. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll mm-hmm. detach it and then just use a regular syringe and use less. Yeah, suction. that's what I do too. So yeah, that's the other reason. Like one I like CC butterflies. syringes. Yeah, exactly. I'm horrible with one mil syringes. Like they bend too I much. Have, for me. Yeah. And I have a really bad habit of like overfilling them and then the plunger falls out <laughs> <laughs> because I get greedy and I'm like, see, I just use I, a three mil syringe and I can. So do I, I but like, like I when can you have those like super, I'm yeah, I, yeah, yeah, but when I'm trying to draw a purple top and then like I'm trying to get it to not clot and it's literally just trickling because I'm trying not to collapse the vein, mm. I use a 1cc syringe. Mm. Again, and it's like whatever works for patients. your fingers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Freshen up on your clotting cascade because it's pretty fascinating if you're, you know, into blood. Like well, we and I, and it's funny, I think you and I have talked about this before is in school, you're overwhelmed with, everything. yeah, you just want to get it done. You're like, you okay, there's some practicing. cascade, whatever. But like, as, as you've been out in the field more, like you've seen clinically how that affects things. And so, mm-hmm. like, you know, like I just had an aha moment in this episode is <laughs> you start understanding you know, you've seen it in action, but then you kind of put that information and it makes it a little bit easier to understand. Yeah. So, so it's a lot easier to understand. Don't worry. Eventually you'll get it and you can refresh as you get older. It's so much easier to put it with a patient. Like it's just like, it's so much easier to do any sort of studying or anything. If you just put it with patient, (laughs) you make it with something you've seen. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And now for the question of the week. So this week's question of the week is, uh, because coagulation is just such a huge subject, right? We would love to hear of a case that you were involved with that had some sort of coagulation abnormality, whether that was, you know, hypercoagulable or hypocoagulable and, you know, something that you may have done and you learned from it. Um, and you know, maybe share like a tip or something that you learned with about it with the rest of us, because again, if we can relate it to a patient in a, in a case, I think that makes it more accessible for the rest of us. So we'd love to hear what your experiences are on it and, uh, you know, what, what kind of a cool case you've seen. Sound good? Yes. All right. Let us know because I mean, again, we are blood nerds and (laughs) I do love even if I'll throw this into the question of the week if you've done one of these specialized tests that eClinPath has recommended that I don't have a clue what it does let me know yeah that would be what the process is yeah (laughs) 
because I, I'm always game for learning. So uh, you can leave the question, well, your answer to our question of the week on our Facebook group. So that's the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast group page. Um, yeah, I think it's it uh, facebook.com slash groups slash internal medicine for vet techs podcast. I'm so proud that I knew that. <laughs> That's very long. <laughs> it is. Do we have our short link? for? So that link is the imfpp.org slash podcast Facebook group. You yep. can find the group there. And then of course on, on our website, the internal medicine for vet techs dot com page uh, <laughs> and then if you go to show notes we always put the question of the week under show notes and you can find all of our links there as well yeah so i think that's a wrap for this episode though yeah sounds like it um and i think so this makes episode 23 which i can't yep. believe it's 23 and just a quick um just a quick thank you to everyone uh george and i we just realized we hit 5,000 downloads this week which is I, I can't even, I can't even believe that. That's so crazy to me. And we really appreciate you guys sharing the podcast with friends because getting the word out from, from you guys, I think works better than from us. So share with your friends, share it in groups. If, if you know, you're on a Facebook group or anything and you think someone might enjoy one of the episodes, we'd, we'd love for you to share it. Um, and thank you. Thank you for getting us to 5,000. So I crazy. Know, it's crazy. All right, ladies and gentlemen out there listening to the podcast, thank you for joining us this week. Remember to get your learn on and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yay. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast. And make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.